If you would, take up your Bible, turn to 1 Chronicles. Appreciated the song selections this morning. Uh, In particular, Blessed Be the Name. The name is very significant, and even as Ralph alluded to, uh, the name of our Lord, the name of our King. Uh, Speak to His name and many other names uh, this morning in this book of 1 Chronicles. Chapter 28, I'm going to read chapter 28 this morning. Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel... The officers of the tribes and the captains of the divisions who served the king. The captains over thousands and captains over hundreds. And the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and of his sons. With the officials, the valiant men, and all the mighty men of valor. Do you get the picture? All these people gathered. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name because you've been a man of war and have shed blood. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be the ruler. And of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he's chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. Now he said to me, It is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Moreover, I will establish his kingdom forever if he is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as it is this day. Now, therefore, in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord and in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. And then turning his attention to Solomon in the midst of the people. As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father. And serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. Then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. Don't miss that. 
of the courts of the house of the Lord, of all the chambers all around, of the treasuries of the house of God, and of the treasuries for the dedicated things, also for the division of the priests and the Levites, for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the articles of the service in the house of the Lord. He gave gold by weight for things of gold, for all articles used in every kind of service, also silver for all articles of silver by weight, for all articles used in every kind of service, the weight for the lampstands of gold, and their lamps by gold of gold by weight for each lampstand and its lamps for the lampstands of silver by weight for the lampstand and its lamps according to the use of each lampstand and by weight he gave gold for the tables of the showbread for each table and silver for the tables of silver also pure gold for the forks the basins the pitchers of pure gold and the golden bowls he gave gold by weight for every bowl and for the refined gold by weight for the altar of the incense and for the construction of the chariot that is the gold cherubim that spread their wings and overshadowed the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. And David said to his son Solomon, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. And every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of workmanship, for every kind of service. Also the leaders and all the people will be completely at your command. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, my son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now therefore, our God, we thank you And praise your glorious name. We ask this morning that you would have your way with your word. Plant it deep in our hearts. I pray that your word would be well established and rooted in our lives. That we might walk faithfully with you. Change us this day as your word goes forward. Show us what it is to be sons and daughters of the king. I pray that we would diligently keep your precepts and be found as a people walking in your ways. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, 
Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth. First Chronicles 1, 1 through 4. Names. Some on the list are more familiar than others. But as First Chronicles opens, no storyline, no, no plot, no conflict, no tension, just names. What's in a name? Michael Wilcock in his commentary, excellent commentary on First Chronicles, he, he opens up the the commentary, and you have to keep reading uh, to know that, that he's putting forward something that he himself doesn't necessarily believe, but actually puts it forward with the understanding that there are some who take up First Chronicles who may hold to this very view. And he says, what in the world is this? Turn the page quickly. In fact, turn the next ten pages. And let us try to find something at least readable, if not actually interesting. And then he uses a line from Lewis Carroll's book and says, For what is the use of a book, said Alice, without pictures or conversations? And he says, What could be more stupendously dull than the first nine chapters of First Chronicles? Over 200 names alone in the first chapter. Eight and a half pages in my Bible of names. Nine consecutive chapters of names. What do you do when you come to this book of First Chronicles? Do you push fast forward to the meteor content beginning in chapter 10? This is something that in our home... When we're in the vehicle, there are times when we have CDs playing. And, and I, I already know when a certain song comes on, I'm going to hear, forward it, fast forward, forward it, from someone in the van. And oftentimes when asked why it's necessary to fast forward, it, it has to do with this song is too slow. And I've come back before with the line, slow doesn't necessarily equate to bad, does it? And yet there are certain songs that won't get listened to simply because the tempo is slower. Do we do the same thing when we arrive at First Chronicles? Do we tend to skip the first nine tracks in order to get to track ten? Remember this, all scripture is given by God, it's God breathed, it's what, profitable for our soul? And so perhaps we need to ask of God when we come to a passage like this, what would you have me know, Lord, through this series of names? What are you wanting to teach me through these opening chapters? 
This is the largest consecutive group of names tied together. There are other genealogies in the the scripture. But this one takes the cake. Nine chapters. Uh, Really, truth be told, our our flesh in many ways is is turned off by the list of names. These are names of people, uh, in large part, unfamiliar to us. People who live far removed from us. People whose names we can't even pronounce half the time. Do we read with an impatient heart, gritting our teeth until we make it to the end of chapter 9? Or do we read asking of God why he would move the chronicler to begin his book in this manner? Ever thought there might be a reason for the lists of names? You know, we've bumped into some hard to read sections before as we've made our road trips through the scripture to this point, haven't we? I mean, you know, it starts out great. We're in Genesis, 50 chapters, and it's just boom, 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 boom. The life, you know, the creation account, and Abraham, and and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. All kinds of adventure, engaging stories, life lessons, all kinds of things in the book of Genesis. And then you get into Exodus, and you get the birth of Moses, and the plagues, right? And the crossing of the sea, Ten Commandments. And then right after the Ten Commandments, from like Exodus 21 through 40, the end of the book, the last half of Exodus, a lot of details right there on the construction of the tabernacle. You remember that part? Uh, Build it according to the pattern. Build it according to the pattern. And then you make your way into Leviticus, and the name alone sends chills down some of your spines. To think about reading Leviticus. Hopefully we have a better grasp now of Leviticus. And see it. Maybe not as we used to see it. But we see it as a very significant book. Nevertheless in terms of the read. It is somewhat daunting to think about making your way through the priestly elaboration of garments and sacrifices and cleanliness laws. And the opening pages of Numbers doesn't get a whole lot better as you start with a a census of the people followed by the order of encampment of the 12 tribes of Israel. The details handed down by God are staggering. And once you get to Numbers chapter 9, 10, right in that area, you gain traction again on reading. So this morning as we look at Chronicles, 1 Chronicles in particular, why the time and attention given up front about the first nine chapters? I believe it sends us a message And I believe it communicates to the reader the purpose of the writer. He is moved by the Spirit. Listen, he is moved by the Spirit just as much as Luke in his gospel is penned by the Holy Spirit. Just as much as Luke in his church history in the book of Acts was moved by the Holy Spirit. Same Holy Spirit moved each one to write. So what is the message? What purpose does the chronicler have in mind with these opening chapters in particular? To help us understand this, I believe a little background is helpful. First of all, the writer of the book, the writer of the book, we're not uh, 100% sure who the writer of this book is. Uh, Ezra's name gets put out there as as a potential uh, author, uh, Ezra the scribe, right? But we just don't know for sure who wrote the book. And so oftentimes the writer of this book is simply called the chronicler, right? The chronicler, that's who he is, the writer of the book of Chronicles. The date of the book 
seems to be sometime around the end of the 4th century B.C. And really what's, what's fascinating about this is it's on the back end of what we know today as the Old Testament history. Okay? Uh, end, of, end of Nehemiah, you know, you hear Nehemiah and Malachi are contemporaries. And this is, this is after, right, right after that particular period of time. And the list of names here in Chronicles that we have before us, the list of names, if you notice, they go beyond the life of David. Okay? Much of the central focus in this book of 1 Chronicles is on the life of David. And by the way, there was another book that we encountered a few weeks ago that was also centered on the life of David. And that was what? 2 Samuel. Right? 2 Samuel. Primarily about David. Focused on David. Well, much of the central focus here not only is on David, but it's on his family. It's on the chosen tribe of Judah. And so what we see in this chosen tribe of Judah, uh, it's been prophesied elsewhere that from Judah a ruler will come. All the way back in Genesis 49, remember when Jacob was speaking and he said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah. The chronicler doesn't miss the opportunity to highlight the line in activity of Judah. And so coupled with the timing and the date of this particular book, we have the placement of First and Second Chronicles. Remember, just like Samuel and just like Kings, these were in their original, they were one book, okay? Chronicles. And the time period helps us in terms of the placement when we look at the original Hebrew scriptures. And I, I had a Hebrew Bible and I was looking just to confirm this on my own this week. And, and sure enough, I opened it up to the table of contents in the Hebrew scriptures. And you know what I found? I found that the last book in the Hebrew scriptures is the book of Chronicles. The last book in the Hebrew scriptures. Now, it's quite different in our book. In, in the English version, what we have, we have Chronicles and it comes after what? comes after Kings, comes right before Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, right? But in the Hebrew Scriptures, Chronicles actually is the finale. It's the caboose of the Hebrew Scriptures. You know what a caboose is, right? The caboose is the last car on the train, isn't it? It's the end. And that's what we have. We have the end of history, and really in many ways what we see is uh, this, this book is a summary in many ways. Not a whole lot of new information here. In many ways a summary and an alternative approach one might say to the history of God's people, sort of like reading through the four gospels. And, and a lot of the material in the four gospels are relatively the same. Each of the writers are pointing out and approaching it from a different perspective, However, all of them are talking about whom, church? Jesus, right? That's the highlight. Well, the first track of, uh, of names in chapter 1 begins with what person? If you have your Bible open, you see the first name in chapter 1 of 1 Chronicles 1 is what? Adam. Adam. You see other familiar names as you work through the line, uh, David's line in particular, and you get to chapter 3. You see the family of David and the family of Solomon and the family of Jeconiah. It's sort of that line there of, of David. And it works itself out all the way, ending with the seven sons of Eli Ani. I've got a greater appreciation this week after having studied this, a greater appreciation for these seven sons of Eli Ani. 
I wasn't quite familiar with these seven sons of Eliani, but the track seems to end in terms of the line of David and as it, as it looks in, in terms of uh, tracking lineage, family tree, it seems to stop with the sons of Eliani in 3 verse 24. I think it's helpful here, and one of the things that I did, I, I'm, I'm very limited as an artist, so bear with me. But this tree that's here, if you were to... Uh, view this book of Chronicles, and in particular this list of names, uh, down at the bottom of the tree trunk would be Adam, and working its way up. One of the things we see as we work, the, work our way up the tree, and think, because really what we have here in these first nine chapters in particular, a collection of family lines, right? Family tree. And it's, a, it's really a who's connected to whom kind of deal in these first nine chapters. And the chronicler, as he sets out his history book, he begins with Adam. And so if we think of the trunk of the tree as the family of David, of the tribe of, of Judah, we, we I drew the arrow upward, we see that the chronicler seems to be tracing David in this line of, of Judah. And then thinking about these branches that go out from the trunk as offshoots of David's family. Uh, David's cousins, David's, uh, uh, maybe the other tribes of Israel, right? Uh, sundry connections to David and to Judah. And so what you start to see is a family tree that's flourishing and growing. Now it's helpful to track the first several chapters in this way, okay? Upward growth, outward growth. Upward growth, tracking David and Judah in particular, ending at the sons of Eliani. And outward growth, these connections to David and Judah. Well, the chronicler is concerned about upholding the names of David's line, the tribe of Judah. In fact, as the book continues to unfold in the second chronicles, you'll see that the emphasis is solely upon the kings of Judah, right? Solely upon the kings of Judah. Intentional effort is given to highlight David, his family, his line, the kings that come through his promised throne. And I ask the question again, why David? A few weeks ago as we were talking about 2 Samuel, some of this might be familiar, but I think it's good to repeat it because it's also good to ask the question, why the highlight of David? What's so important about David? And we saw that great description in Samuel 16, 18 given by one of Saul's servants. One of Saul's servants recognized this about David. Love this. Verse 18, Samuel 16. Found out that he said, hey, hey Saul, David is skillful in playing the harp. He's a mighty man of valor. He is a man of war. He's prudent in his speech. He's handsome in appearance. And King Saul, the Lord is with him. Matthew 1 has listed David the king in the line of Christ, the king of kings, right? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Keep that in mind. A branch shall grow out of his roots. Luke chapter 1, the angel visits Mary and says, Jesus, this Jesus is going to be born to you. He's going to be great. He's going to be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And we read Revelation twenty two sixteen, where Jesus himself testified, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you of these things in the churches. And Jesus said, I am the root and the offspring of David. 2 Samuel 23, verse 1, identifies David as the one who is the son of Jesse, the, the man raised up on high, 
the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. This David, who is the central figure in 2 Samuel, he stands out and we shared this. We talked about why he's highlighted. What, what do we see about David in 2 Samuel? We talked about how he inquired of God regularly, right? And that's contrasted with Chronicles chapter 10. It's interesting, the chronicler brings this out in chapter 10, verse 14, about Saul. When he died, what's it say in 1014? It says, Saul, but he did not inquire of the Lord. Quite a contrast. David modeled the kindness of the Lord regularly. David confessed his sin to the Lord. He knew where to take his sin. And we find David at the end of 2 Samuel. We find him at the end of Chronicles. Worshiping the Lord. Sort of like as was his custom. That's that's what David was. So you get a clear look at the who in the book of 1 Chronicles. And in particular, it's David. But the structure and the layout, the entry point into the study with all the names. Why? Why does the chronicler use this approach? If we go back to the tree image for just a moment, it's helpful to see the upward and outward growth of the tree, tracing and tracking David's family line. You see the base of the tree goes all the way back to Adam. If we were to put Adam down here, it goes all the way back to Adam. That's a long time ago. Huh? A long time ago. It seems that the sons of Eleani are the peak of the tree in terms of the upward growth in chapter 324, okay? We need to remember something. That this tree that flourishes upward and goes outward, it's flourishing. A tree that's flourishing has a well-watered root system. Right? It has a root system. Again, bear with my artist uh, renderings here, but hopefully you get an idea and a picture Below the surface, you start to see the potential why behind the chronicler's starting point of names. Perhaps these young men in chapter 3, verse 24, the sons of Eleani, seven sons in all. Perhaps these young men were the same age as the writer. We don't know for sure. But the history recorded stops with the sons of Eliani. What is it the writer hopes to do as the reader today even takes up this book and reads? I believe he's wanting you to see the roots of the tree. The roots of the tree. Remember that the audience to whom the chronicler writes, they too are far removed from much of the history that's contained in this book of 1 Chronicles. The history being described is of a bygone era. Okay? The audience is an Israelite under Persian rule, most likely. Perhaps they're wondering what the future holds. Having been in exile, the people of God have already returned, and yet they remain under the rule and reign of a pagan king. And when we take up 1 Chronicles we might find ourselves wondering about the future. Anybody here take up the Bible ever wonder about their own future as they read? Some of you look around this mixed up world and find it far removed from what you might deem the good old days. 
Funny, isn't it? The, the good old days, the expression is the label that some of us affix to our growing up years. The good old days. It's deemed good in large part because it's what we knew. It's what we were comfortable with. We were familiar with it. We are the recipients of the Chronicler's history. And yes, you recognize a few names, but know very little about these people. How many of you have spent some time tracking and tracing your own genealogy? Anybody ever taken time to do some of that work? Those of you that have, know that it is quite interesting to see those generations long ago tracking where they've been, where they came from, where they grew up. But very few, I would imagine here, would be interested in delving into the genealogy of someone else. You're not connected in that way. So why mention their names at all? I believe the Lord, through this book, desires to make some root connections. That's the first C here. Connections. I believe the Lord, through this book, is wanting to make some root connections. Wanting us to see some things here. If the sons of Eliani were the current generation of the writer, he's made the connection in the text between Adam and the sons of Eliani. As a church, years removed from the Chronicles' history, do you think the connection just disappears and becomes null and void after Eliani's generation? God's people, the children of promise, sons of Abraham through faith in God, sons of righteousness. Here we are some 2,000 removed, we're 2,000 years removed from Christ. There are a lot of names that separate us from Christ in terms of years. And yet by faith we hold on tightly to the connection that we have in Christ Jesus. In Him there's life. Without Him we have no hope. We're lost, we're adrift, we're just passing time. We take this book up and we read it on the other side of the cross, don't we? We have the knowledge of Christ's death burial, resurrection before us. We are the recipients of the promised Holy Spirit, the same Spirit working in David. Remember the the, the passage I read from Chronicles 28 in verses 11. David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule. Verse 12, the plans for all that he had by the what? By the Spirit. And verse 19 really reiterates that idea. All this, David said, the Lord made me understand in writing. How did he make him understand it? By the Spirit, by his hand upon him. Listen, the root connections with God's people through history, this ought not seem strange, this ought not seem odd if we are in Christ Jesus. The very essence of Christ's church The body of Christ, think about it, the family of God. The Bible makes the connections, and we sing songs that speak to being a part of the family of God. What connects us? 
The song says we are joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. Now, there aren't very many people that use that terminology today. This sod? As we travel this earth. We're joint heirs with Christ. Doesn't the root level connection have to do with a relationship going on with God through His Son, Jesus Christ? The connection that we're talking about here? We're talking about when we take it up today and we're reading this and we see the names and we see the connects. There's, there's connections here. There's root level connections that the writer, I believe, as he's moved by the Spirit, is wanting us to connect with these people. This root connect carries over quite well into the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower, some seed fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no what? Root. Because they had no root, they withered away. The explanation in this parable, Jesus says, he who received the seed sown on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. But endures for a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Spiritual growth requires a root system in Christ. Amen? It requires that. A hearing of his word, a receiving of his word, an understanding of his word, all of which lead to fruit bearing. That's been talked about already this morning. Fruit bearing at various levels as the Lord wills. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7 addresses this in the Sermon on the Mount. In the context, he's saying, how can you discern a false prophet? You'll know them by their what? Fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. Every good tree bears what? What kind of fruit? Good fruit. Every bad tree bears what? Bad fruit. Bearing fruit requires good roots. What do your roots look like? Later on in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So credentials, acts of kindness, don't by themselves get you to heaven Jesus says, I would declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. And I, I never had a relationship with you. Jesus, you see, knows the heart. And he knows whether there's any relationship that's going on with you and him. And this is one of the most frightening, eye-opening passages of Scripture. He's warning people, saying a relationship connection, a relationship connection is absolutely necessary. Eternity is not something to handle lightly. And Jesus is speaking candidly, very candidly here to the people. He doesn't want there to be any surprises when the time comes for people to leave this earth. Matthew chapter 15, he's speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees and he says, these people, quoting from Isaiah the prophet, these people draw near me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their what? Their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So here again, the root connection, the root connection is the heart. Jesus is talking about it. 
Paul says the same thing in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted, rooted and built up. Listen, you can't walk in him unless you're rooted in him. That seems to be the implication here. Walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught abounding in it. The connection is, see, it's not simply knowing the name of Jesus, but it's an understanding of what this Jesus has done. It's by faith in receiving his finished work in my own life and believing that I now stand righteous because of his love and his grace extended my way. The connection involves a, here's the second C, involves a continuity. The connection involves a continuity. And this, I believe, is what the chronicler is helping us grasp. From Adam to the sons of Eleani, are we not all a part of the family of God, connected to one another, as we in Christ are also connected to the living head? We talk much of the connection that's needed between one person and the Lord Jesus, and rightly so. Significant relationship connection is needed at this level. However, I believe the chronicler, as he writes is concerned with a root-level connection with the people of God. This is a big picture. And it's this connection that I believe is lost in large part today. You know, back in the day, even from what we read in Acts chapter 2, there's a connectedness. There's a connectedness that's present among the body of Christ. People called one another by their family connection. Brother, sister. There was an interest in the other. A heart connection to the Lord. And a genuine concern for one another being in Christ. Listen, here's here's a great paradox of our day. We live in a Wi-Fi connected world like never before. And yet we are more disconnected now than perhaps we've ever been. Think about that for just a moment. This connected generation may be truly connected, but I would ask the question, connected to what or connected to whom? We are easily connected today. Contact can be made all around the globe at your screen. But listen, heart level connection doesn't happen through a screen, through an email, through a chat room. We've lost and and we desperately need to recover what it is to have vital connection with one another. Craig Gross in his book, Open, he says our society has made it easier than ever to keep our relationships at a surface level. We can just click the like option on someone's Facebook status and then pat ourselves on the back for being involved in their life. We don't need to have a face-to-face conversation. We can just follow each other on Twitter. A simple tap and we just made an Instagram photo a favorite, complete with an icon of a heart to represent our so-called love. 
We are connected to more people than ever before, able to give and receive instantaneous updates on the minutiae of our lives, yet we remain curiously unsatisfied and isolated. That's a pretty accurate assessment, I believe, in large part of the way things are in our day. As the final book of the Hebrew Scriptures, First Chronicles stands as a grand summary of David's reign and rule. But I believe it tells us more than facts. Biblical history stands on facts, true events, real people on the timeline. But a recounting of the facts isn't the chronicler's sole purpose in writing. When you read this book of First Chronicles, what do you encounter? I'm going to zip through this. This is just a, we've done this with most of the books. Here's what's found in this book, right? Chapters 1 through 9, hopefully by now you understand what 1 through 9 is, right? It's a list of names, family lines, family trees, highlighted on David and the line of Judah. Chapter 10, we see the death of Saul. Doesn't, it doesn't tell us a whole lot. You know, from, in 1 Samuel, we get a, a big scope of Saul's life. But here in 1 Chronicles, all we get is the, the, the details of what happened at Mount Gilboa. Right, chapter 10. 11 and 12 talks about David and his mighty men. Right, we get the list of names, a lot of names. David had a lot of mighty men. Chapters 13 through 16, we see a lot that's, that's spoken here about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of God and its movement into Jerusalem. Right, And then chapter 17, in many ways, uh, this is kind of the crux of the book. I, I, I put it by itself because chapter 17 is that... Uh, covenant that God makes with David, right? Chapter 17. Pretty big, pretty powerful. It's also given to us in 2 Samuel. 18, 19, and 20 are various battles of David, uh, victories of David in battle. Uh, Chapter 21, then, is the census, the dreaded census that was taken, right? And uh, the result of that census uh, the Lord's anger is aroused, or here in Chronicles, Satan. Uh, you get both of those come forth uh, from Second Samuel and, and from Chronicles. Bottom line is uh, 70,000 of Israel die. Pretty devastating. Chapter 22 through 27 then adds some new information for us here in Chronicles that what we don't get in Samuel um, and that is, we, we see the, uh, the descriptions, uh, the preparations. Uh, the Bible says in Chronicles, it talks about how David uh, prepared with all of his heart for, the, for this building that Solomon was going to be building. And so chapter 22 is the announcement of this preparation. And he gets started and he's calling Sam, uh, Solomon to, to go after the work, to go for it, to, to, to make sure you get after it here. And the Lord is preparing and, and so from 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, you see David making preparations. He's, he's lining up the musicians, isn't he? Yeah, he's lining up the, the military. He's, he, David is ordering and administrating. And you see the, all the names. The priests, the Levites, all the people. David's got this all in order as the Lord has directed him. And that's what those chapters are all about. And then we conclude with 28 and 29. We read 28 this morning. 
but it's really the final transition. It's a series of transitions as David is handing over the kingship. David is going to die at the end of the book, and before he does so, hands over the kingship to his son Solomon. So in many ways, that's the uh, breakdown of, of the book. And these names here really, uh, and events, and, and things, these are highlights of the book. From David to Solomon, uh, Judah, the temple, the priesthood, those things are highlighted here in this book of, of 1 Chronicles. So the chronicler is concerned with making these root-level connections with a people who need hope, a people who need encouragement, people who need to know that their lives still have purpose. Does that apply to you today? Need hope? Need any encouragement? Need to be, need to be told through the scriptures that God has a, a purpose and a plan for you? There are a lot of people who don't have any of that today. These Israelites, the recipients of this book, no king in Judah as they're currently in the land. Think about how deflating of a time this might have been for the people of God. They'd been in exile. They're now back home, but perhaps they're filled with some questions. What now, God? What about the words of the prophets? Are your promises still good for today? Is the Messiah still coming or not? Remember, the prophets were prophesying about this Messiah. It's in this context that the chronicler writes his history to create root-level connections and to call the people of God around the 4th century B.C. to spiritual continuity. Continuity. To help them see that what began in Adam continues to this day through the sons of Eliani. Perhaps that's what we have as the history leading up to that. These promises and truths God gave to David through the line of Judah, these still hold true for you. So I believe in many ways, First Chronicles, this book of Chronicles, is a take heart, family of God. Lift up your heads, all you who follow the Lord. Stop worrying. Know that God hasn't gone anywhere. He's used these people. All, look at all these people in history. He's used all of these people, and his desire now is to use you in the present. His word's not changed. Not one word of his has failed. Wilcock writes in his commentary, he says, makes mention of a historian, Edward Gibbon. It says, for Edward Gibbon, history was little more than the register of crises, follies, and misfortunes of mankind. And Wilcox says, human history is more than that, thank God. For the chronicler, it was a series of testimonies to the grace of God who picks up the broken pieces and puts them together again. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For whatever things were written before were written for our what? Our learning. That we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have what? Hope. We can wait on the Lord and we can rest in him because his promises are true all the time. What a drink of water to a thirsty soul this book of Chronicles was, and I pray is, even still today. A series of testimonies to the grace of God who picks up the broken pieces and puts them together again. 
Wilcox says, the chronicler knows that the past is actually the soil in which the roots must take hold. The past is actually the soil in which the roots must take hold. I was interested to... uh, I'll make a mess of this probably, but it's all right. We'll get the picture. We've got some soil. And I know we got some, uh, we got some young folks in here today. So let's just say this is representative young folks of your history. If the soil is representative of your history, there's not too much history some of you have. Some of you have just a little bit of history. One, two, three four, five, six, seven years, you got a little bit of history. And then we've got some teenager folks in the house. Do we have any teenagers here today? No teenagers here. It's a shame. So I had a little bit more. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more, teenagers. All right, you got, you got, you got a little bit more history here. Okay? we got some folks who are a little older than that. I'm not calling out any, any ages. Don't worry. we got, we got some folks that, that have a, a good amount of history. And then, I don't know exactly how much soil's in here, but if this cup represents the amount of history in your life, whatever that might end up being, we got some who are, woo. We got people admitting to it. That's awesome. A lot of history. Right? We have before us in the scriptures a history intended to provide hope to the people of God, a History that connects us and calls us to continuity, to keep on walking with God, to keep on trusting God, to keep on holding on to these precious promises of our mighty God. Will the seed of God bear abundant fruit in your life, or will it perish because there was no root system in place? Listen, no matter the past that you might have, no matter how firmly the roots of previous family generations have taken hold in your life and shown themselves to perhaps bear scars and wounds and weeds and thistles and thorns, to quote what David says to the people, in regard to the temple being built, I'll say it in regard to your life in Christ and your life as a part of the body of Christ and the family of God. The work is great. Each day, listen, each day you are investing in the soil of history. And roots are even now taking hold forming, shaping you and those entrusted to your care 
in the next generation. Steward your investment in the soil of history. How do I do that? I would give you the words and counsel from David to his son Solomon. Know the God of heaven. Know him as a father. Not as some object. Know him as a father. A father who loves you. Serve him with a loyal heart. Serve him with a willing mind. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he'll cast you off forever. God is a just God. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Prepare with all of your might for the house of God. I think about that in terms of the church. David says that's what he does. He's prepared with all of his might. Chapter 29. For the house of my God I have prepared with all my might. You want to plant some soil in history? Rooted in Christ's church. Grounded in Christ's church. Set your affection, verse 3 of chapter 29. Set your affection on the house of your God. Set your affection on Christ and his house. In verse 5 of chapter 29. Will you consecrate yourself this day to the Lord God? Will you consecrate yourself? This day to the Lord God. When you invest your life in this manner, your soil will be abundant. It's going to be rich. And those who follow, listen, those who follow after you will truly have something precious to hold on to. There'll be a root system here that they can connect to. And Lord willing, there'll be continuity in their lives to do the same thing for those who follow after them. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Ham, I got it wrong, Shem, Ham, Japheth. The first four verses of Chronicles 1. What's in a name? Blessed be the name of the Lord for sure. What's in a name? You are connected to something bigger than yourself, friends. God has been at work in the history of his people. You are connected to this something bigger. And being connected, see that you establish continuity in the things of God for those who follow after you. Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 6. There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful.
Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for connecting us through your son. The word that is used in the scripture is reconcile. Thank you for reconciling us to yourself through your son. Through his death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, I pray as we consider this soil in the cup this morning. Consider it representing our past. Considering the connections, Lord, that you would have us make with you and with others in the body of Christ and with others outside the body of Christ who also need to know this good news of Christ. I pray, Lord, that it would be our heart's desire this day to continue what we now know about these connections. As we read the history in Chronicles, Lord, I do believe it's the author's intent, moved by the Spirit, to show us these connections with the people who've gone before us. In many ways, it reminds me of what we have in Hebrews 11, the gallery, those who have lived by faith ahead of us. There are many who have walked by faith, not by sight. And I pray, Lord, as one of your children, it would be our heart's desire to invest in this soil that our past would be worthy of roots being taken hold of in this soil. That as our children look to their parents, as we become grandparents and our grandchildren are looking to their grandparents and wondering and asking in the days ahead. The Bible talks about this quite often. When your son or when your daughter asks in the days ahead, one of the questions that I consider as we go to this book of Chronicles and think about the history, what are they going to say? What are they going to sink their roots into from the lives of their parents or the lives of their grandparents? Lord, I pray we would consider each day an investment in the soil of our past. Every day we're, 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 we're investing. We're investing that there might be strong roots established in our lives and established also for the ones who follow after us. Thank you, Lord, for the strong root system that's been put in place through your son, Jesus Christ, at the cross. It's firm. It's not moving anywhere And we thank you that we can hold on and know that we have a great hope that's not going to ever be taken away. So, Father, we just rejoice in that and say thank you. Thank you for this book of Chronicles. Thank you for teaching us about this and perhaps seeing this book now in a different light, that reading the names will remind us of the connections and spur us on to the continuity that's needed to keep on going in the things of God in our life. For your sake, for your honor, for your glory, may it be so. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.